Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast in collaboration with the Conservative Yeshiva in Jerusalem. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about the Conservative Yeshiva, please visit conservativeyeshiva.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Daily Daf Differently. Jeremy Kalmanowski with you today, learning Tractate Givamot, page Samach Dalet, or 64. We'll continue uh, the theme that began yesterday, the importance of childbearing, the importance of being married, and the mitzvah of pru urvu, of filling the earth with more human life. And both today's page and tomorrow, 65, will be devoted to what happens when a couple just doesn't have children, uh, even after some time of marriage. What should people do in such a situation? Should they divorce and try to have better luck with other partners, uh, or should they stick it out? Now, it's important to stress that you know a modern listener of this podcast or a modern student of this page probably find it a little dissonant to think that marriage is only about uh, procreation, and if a couple is infertile, that, that's sort of a judgment on their marriage. And it should be said that in modern times, uh, very, very few, it's kind of on the books that this is a real life option, but in modern times, uh, no Jewish authorities really compel divorce in such a situation. Just think of the late uh, Lubavitch Rebbe, who never had children, the perhaps greatest Talmudist of many hundreds of years, Rabbi Shaul Lieberman, professor at, uh, at JTS, um, also never had children, and nobody suggested that in real life they should divorce. However, in the Mishnah, uh, on our page 64, Amud Aleph, it says, Nasa isha v'shaha ima eser shanim, man marries a woman and stays with her for ten years, v'lo yalda, and she had no children, that man is not permitted to give up the mitzvah of pru filling the earth, uh, and Rashi says there, so either he has to divorce that first wife, or has to take an additional wife in a polygamous context. The Mishnah continues that there is no automatic judgment against the, the woman in that case. Girsha, if he divorced her, muterbli nasela acher, she is permitted to then marry some other man, virashai hasheni lashotima eser shanim, and that second man is also permitted to stay with her ten years. Uh, and face the same questions, you know, after 10 years of childlessness, he has to, he has to fulfill the mitzvah, so he should either divorce her or get another, get another wife in a polygamous context. Ve'im hipila, but if the woman conceived and miscarried, uh, misha'asha hipila, you count the 10 years from the date of the miscarriage, because she's, she's not been, you know, she's not failed to conceive, just hasn't succeeded in having the baby itself. Our page goes on, uh, to talk about what should come to everybody's mind immediately, all the stories in Genesis, Abraham and, and Sarah who were childless, and Isaac and Rebecca who were childless. And it says a number of tremendously interesting agotic statements and some disturbing ones. Uh, it says, for example here, this is a common phrase that one hears in rabbinic attitudes of prayer, about prayer. Why, why did uh, God make all the matriarchs suffer through childlessness? Well, God desires the prayer of the righteous. Well, that just doesn't sound like a very uh, ethical theory here, that God makes people suffer because he, he looks forward to hearing their prayers. That's like a parent saying, 
No, I like it when my children cry because then they come and sit on my lap and I hug them. <laughs> you wouldn't want your children to cry in the first place. Uh, the, the passage also suggests in a tremendously interesting uh, little piece of Agadah that Abraham and Sarah, in their years of childlessness, were, were tumtumim. They were intersex people of uncertain genitalia, and they had to uh, basically have some primitive surgical procedures to fit them for reproduction. That's not one you hear every day. And again, in the weirdness category, we have a repetition of a piece of Agadah. Actually, this is the full expression of a piece of Agadah that I mentioned a couple of days ago. There's a suggestion that Rav Huna would talk so long in his Torah lectures that all the students who held back from going to the bathroom became thereby sterile because they had to listen to him. They were emasculated by listening to Rav Huna's Torah teaching. Sixty students became sterile. Now that, that is just, I think, incredibly interesting, Agadah, uh, and bizarre because Torah is generally thought of as being making one powerful in rabbinic literature, but here, uh, Rav Huna at least is portrayed as emasculating through Torah. Very strange. The halachic matter that is uh, most interesting, perhaps, on the page has to do with when one evaluates uh, that that a given woman is not going to have children, when a given woman, perhaps, or a given man is sterile. What constitutes enough empirical evidence? To draw uh, that that uh, conclusion. So, for example, if something happens twice, can we assume that that's a regular pattern and will happen a third time, or do we require three instances before we conclude that something is to happen uh, reliably a fourth time? And there's a very interesting example here uh, in in the text as we talk about a debate between uh, Rabbi Rabbi Huda Hanasi and Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel over whether, whether two times or three times establish a legal pattern. Uh, Rabbi taught, Malah Rishon, Umet, Sheni Umet, a family of children, they circumcise the first boy and he dies, circumcise the second boy and he dies, Shlishi Lotimo, and the third one should not be circumcised. Divrei Rabbi, those are the words of Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel Omer, Shlishi Timo, circumcised the third one, Rivi'i Lotimo, and not the fourth one. So Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel says a pattern, a legal pattern can be established only after four. I'm sure we can intuit that what we're talking about here is a hemophiliac situation, uh, and after a couple of cases you learn that that family is hemophiliac. It also, by the way, mentions that the same, same rules appertain if the sisters of a given family are all giving birth to babies who die in the course of brit milah, circumcision, uh, intuitively our Talmud has picked up on what modern science knows, at least I think this is correct, that hemophilia is passed maternally. So if four sisters, let's call them Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, uh, if three of the sisters of the family have lost a baby in the course of circumcision, the, 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 either the third or the fourth, depending on which rule you follow, uh, doesn't have to circumcise their ch children. That very case is brought. Tiata uh, Rav Yitzchak Bar Yosef. I'm about two thirds of the way down the page on the bet side. For those of you who are following along, Tiata Rav Yitzchak Bar Yosef. When Rav Yitzchak Bar Yosef came to Babylonia from from the land of Israel, Amar Uvda Hava Kamei De Rav Yochanan BeKenishta De Maon BeYom Al Kippurim Shechaliot BeShabbat. This very case came before Rav Yochanan 
in the synagogue in the town of Maon, and it came on Yom Kippur, which fell on Shabbat, the first sister uh, circumcised her child, Umet, and that boy died, Shenit Umet, and the second sister the same, Shlishit Ba'ah, and the third sister comes before him, Amarla, and Rabbi Yochan's sister, Lechi Umoli. Yeah, you have to go and circumcise this third child. So he's ruling, like Rabban Shimon ben Gamliel, that only three cases establish a pattern, and the, and the, uh, only the fourth is exempt, the third has to do it. Amarle, Abaye, Abaye, the Babylonian authority who hears this report from Eretz Yisrael, uh, says, Kasharit Isura Visakanta. You've done something terrible. You have, uh, you have, Rabbi Yochanan is not before his face, but he says, Rabbi Yochanan has done something terrible. He has permitted something that is both technically forbidden, that is to say, to perform an unnecessary circumcision on Yom Kippurim on Shabbat, and something dangerous, and in generally we believe in Judaism, Sakanta Chamira Me'isura, doing something dangerous is even worse than doing something that is technically ritually forbidden. Nonetheless, the passage goes on, in a little dark comedy, to note that, that Abaye did accept the ruling that two cases do not establish the norm, uh, only three, and he went ahead and married a woman whose first two husbands had all, both died prematurely. She's what's called, not a very nice word, Katlanit, a murderous woman. Uh, not literally, of course. And uh, he says, okay, well, only, only three established the pattern, two is nothing, so I'm going to go ahead and marry the woman. And yes, Abaye died. Sorry to hear that. Ultimately, our page, the, the Talmud fairly ra- rarely comes to an actual legal ruling. For the most part, it leaves these discussions on our page does, at the end of the page, uh, uh, give in the name of Rav Yosef a ruling that, with respect to marriages at least, the law follows Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, that a woman who is married for 10 years to man A and is childless, then is married to man B and is childless for another 10 years, should not then marry a third childless man. That third man should marry a woman with whom he has better chance of fulfilling the mitzvah of Pru Urugu. Thanks for learning today's page with me, and I look forward to learning with you again tomorrow. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently, and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the open and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epic Chorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.